Well, as we mentioned, Pastor's just, just wrapping up his two weeks of, of time off for their 50th wedding anniversary. And so tonight, filling in for Pastor is uh, Dr. Alan Ehler. Uh, Dr. Ehler is the dean of, of the College of Religion and Ministry. He's got um, just wonderful credentials. We've had him speak here many times. He always does a fabulous job, loves to dig deep into the Word. And Dr. Ehler, we're glad to have you. And uh, Alan and his wife, Kara, are both members of Victory Church. So we're, we're delighted especially to have them tonight. Well, thank you, worship team. Uh, you are blessed. Pastor Randy has got a real anointing on his life. I'll say we miss him down at Lakeside Village, but he is a blessing to victory, and I can just see God's got his hand on him and our whole worship team. And you may know three of them are Southeastern students related, the incredibly talented Crowders. Had the privilege of working with Judah, who's playing keyboard there. Uh, he's... Uh, I, think, I don't think there's an instrument any of the three of them can't play, but uh, Judah was my assistant for the last two years and just phenomenally gifted, never failed to smile, always positive, deeply in love with Jesus. And, and we are just really blessed here at Victory, aren't we? Incredible leaders. And it, it is a joy to be with you again tonight. And if you have your Bible, you can take an and turn to John chapter 3. It'll be a little while till we get to the Scripture. But I want you to just think about this question. Has there ever been a mistake that you couldn't fix? Have you ever made a mistake that you couldn't fix? I uh, grew up on a farm just north of Denver, Colorado, and my dad was a very successful farmer, and I was a young boy when he took and sold part of the farm from investors, so that he, and he continued to farm it, but then put that money and purchased another farm east of Denver. So it was about an hour drive from one farm to the other, and we raised cattle and uh, wheat and a bunch of crops to feed the cattle. And part of what I remember as a kid growing up was going back and forth between the two farms. And starting at about age 12, all my summers were working on the farm. Anybody else out there grow up on a farm? I mean, let me tell you, I did not like it. I decided early on I wasn't going to be a farmer. Looking back on it, I don't know why I decided that, but God had other plans anyway. But at any rate, it was my summers were getting up at the crack of dawn and working till long after the sunset. And it was a, a lot of hard work. But there were some pluses to being a kid, a junior high kid working on the farm. One was I got to run machinery. I got to drive tractors. And if you're a 13-year-old boy and you get to drive something with a motor, let me tell you, that's special. And it makes you special. And it was, it was really kind of fun. And of course, did a lot of driving of tractors. And every once in a while, my dad would let me drive the pickup or a truck, usually around the field. But I was 15 and had my learner's permit. My dad had to take one of our big wheat trucks out from our farm in Brighton, north of Denver, to the one at Strasburg, east of Denver. And he had to leave it there and he decided to take a risk and he said Alan I'm gonna have you drive the pickup I want you to follow me I want you to be really careful I know you don't have your license yet but we're not gonna break the speed limit there shouldn't be any problem there shouldn't be any problem yeah, if only that was the case, because uh, we ended up going there and doing that long drive, and Dad took some of the back roads there, and in Colorado, back roads are usually gravel, and we came down this one back road and got right to the edge of his farm property, and there's this downhill on this gravel road that's steep, it's short, less than half a mile, but it's really steep, and the guy who did some of the farming out there for us showed up on the tractor, and so my dad stopped at the bottom of the hill to talk with him, and I came around the corner, and maybe the radio was a 
little bit too loud. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I turned the corner and noticed the truck down there at the bottom of the hill. And I think I was about halfway down the hill and I realized, wait a second, that truck's not going anywhere. I better push on the brakes. And I probably put on the brake a little bit too hard because the pickup started to slide and it didn't stop until the back end of that truck landed about eight inches from my face through the windshield of the pickup. And there it was. Let me tell you, as a 15-year-old, I felt horrible because there was no way I could undo what had been done. And guess what? I wasn't covered on insurance. That was a horrible situation. Now, thank God that's the only time I've ever totaled a car that's been my fault. But there was nothing that I could do to fix that problem. And, you know, there's things, there may be something else that you've done in your life that, that's a problem that you just can't undo. Anybody play video games? Of course, you wouldn't raise your hand maybe that you would say that you did that. I mean, some of us, maybe when you were younger guys, you know, there's this wonderful thing about video games that's not true about real life. It's called respawn. It means when you're out there, you're shooting gun or you're doing whatever and your guy dies, guess what happens? There he is. He comes back to life, gets to start over again as if nothing happened. Do you ever wish life was that way? Well, guess what? Our passage tonight is going to give us some hope in that direction. We're going to be taking a look at a, a very familiar passage. There's just something incredible about it because we need to know that there is hope for those mistakes that we cannot fix ourselves. Because we all do it, and sometimes they have enormous consequences. I read a book several years ago called How to Decide by a writer named Jonah Lehrer. He was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, wrote for the New Yorker, for Wired Magazine. He was, went to Harvard. I mean, the guy just had incredible credentials all the way around. But then I read his book that came out last year, and he had to come out and make a public confession because he had plagiarized. He had copied from other people in his work without getting him credit. And his publisher pulled his earlier books. His reputation had been dragged through the mud. Everything was lost because of a choice that he had made. Well, whatever it is, Whatever it is that you might have done that you can't undo, I have good news for you. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. These signs, and that word signs, it, it occurs throughout the New Testament. The Greek word is samion. And we can think of signs in America. We typically think of those things that are alongside the road that tell us where to go, what exit to turn off. Or is, is this where I want to go here to go to Tampa or do I want to go on to Orlando when I get on I-4? And we look for signs to tell us direction. But when the, we see them in the Greek, they usually have the indication of that same pointing, but they are miracles. These are things that don't happen on their own. They can't be explained any other way. This is the supernatural occurrences. Now, we're reading the Gospel of John, which is a little different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each of those four is a story of Jesus' life, but the other three are typically called the synoptics, which means to see the same, because they tell a lot of the same stories in the same way, a real emphasis on Jesus' miracles and on his teaching in Galilee. 
But tonight's passage takes place in Jerusalem. The other Gospels don't even talk about Jesus going to Jerusalem until he shows up on Palm Sunday. But John has about half or even more of his Gospel takes place in Jerusalem, Jesus dealing with the leaders. And John doesn't go into detail with all of the miracles that Jesus did. He just highlights a few of them. But we do know that Jesus did miracles. At the end of chapter 2, John sort of summarizes that. And obviously, we see that Nicodemus had seen those and knew there was something about Jesus, something that set him apart. So he came to Jesus by night and said, we know you are from God, for no one could do these signs. Yes, they are miracles, but they point to something more. No one could do these signs if he was not sent from God. So then Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We'll see in this passage here, again, Jesus has made a trip to Jerusalem. This is probably the same trip in which he cast out the money, ch- money changers from the temple at the end of chapter 2. Nicodemus, who's a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, has come. He's got questions. And Jesus answers these questions in a way that may be different than Nicodemus asked. In fact, we see that that although Nicodemus starts out with that, that statement, we know you must be from God, Jesus immediately begins by giving him four pictures, four images, four metaphors of what is new life and the new life that's available to people who come to Jesus and believe in him. And what he says to Nicodemus are things that still apply to us today. And that's why this is such an influential passage. I mean, when you think about it, these words here, especially this first imagery of being born again is a label that some of us love. And some people in America use it almost like a cattle prod to lambast us and say, you know, you're one of those born again types. To which we can say, yes, I'm glad about it. Because I don't like the old me. I needed to be born again. I wanted to have a new way. And so Jesus starts with this first imagery. You must be born again. And the Greek word here is anothen. And it can mean the idea of being again. It can mean the idea of being made born anew. Or it can mean born from above. 
But all three of them come together with this same idea of you are different. Your life is different. Everything about you is different. And Jesus' word, if you're going to be in heaven, if you are going to see heaven, if you're going to experience eternal life, you must become a different person. And part of the message of the gospel is you can't do it by yourself. No matter how hard you try. Now, you can start a workout program. And you can get stronger, but you cannot become a totally different person. So back in 1954, Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute mile. Now, he did a great job with that. Now, Roger Bannister just passed away earlier this year in, in, uh, in March at, at the age of 88. So now can you imagine Roger Bannister in last year, saying at age 87, decided, hey, I want to go back and break my record again. I want to go back there, and I'm going to just do it even better. I know it's been broken several times since then, but i got to prove myself. I'm going to do a, a three-minute and 35-second mile. Was he going to do that at 87 years old? No. He would have had to have been born again for sure. And we've got to do that. And there's so many things about us that if we're going to be who we need to be, if we are going to experience God forever in heaven, we must be born again. So Jesus brought that wording there, but Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. So in verse 4, he's scratching his head going, what? It doesn't make any sense. How can a man be born when he is old? I'm not going to crawl back inside my mother. He's probably not even alive anymore. Even if she was, I'm not going to become out of the womb again. What do you mean by this? And so then Jesus brings in the second imagery in verse 5. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Cannot. The idea is you can't even get there unless it's this case. And so he goes back to this birth thing, and, and there's different ways that Bible scholars have taken a look at this passage. What does this mean? Some have said, well, does the water mean the water of baptism? And while that's possible, the more likely thing is the idea of all the amniotic fluid that ushers out when the birth. You think sometimes called the afterbirth, but all of the fluid that surrounds the baby that is sustaining life, that represents the first birth, the natural birth. You must be a human being to be born again. You must have had that first birth. But that's not enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of the Spirit. And that's the one that brings us to the complete new life. That is what transforms us. I shared with you before how at age 18 I made the decision to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he dramatically changed my life. Now, I'd never set foot inside a Pentecostal church. I'd never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All I knew was that but my youth pastor told me the Bible was the Word of God. And, and so I went out and I bought a Bible and I started reading it and, and started studying it and read it from cover to cover. And I started reading about the Holy Spirit. And what I found was those few, first few months as a new Christian, my life was changed dramatically. In fact, I ended up experiencing what I later knew after I learned more about Scripture and learned to call the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I found myself set free from things that I thought I would deal with the rest of my life. Things like, like cussing, like saying four-letter words. It had become a habit, like dealing with... with 
with issues of lust that were out of control in so many areas and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, things that polluted me and corrupted me that I hated about myself. And no matter what I could do on my own, no matter how hard I tried to get rid of it on my own, I could not do it. But the new life I experienced with the Holy Spirit being birthed in me, living in me, empowered me to do what I could never do on my own. And that's Jesus' word. That's his message for us. You were born. You've made mistakes. There's things you've done wrong that would keep you out of heaven. But there is a new life that's available for you. You can be born again. You can be born of the Spirit. You can experience life the way it's meant to be lived. You can live with God forever in eternity. The question is, will you? question is, have you? Well, once again, Nicodemus still is struggling to understand this. Still deals with this. Jesus in verse 6 said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, your first birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he brings in the third image. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. Now, the word wind in Greek is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. Kind of like anybody ever use a pneumatic drill, a drill, you know, because it's got the air pressure in it. We use it like pneumatic anything because it uses that air pressure. (coughs) Now, the word pneuma also means spirit, and it can mean the Holy Spirit. It also means breath, the breath that we breathe. And and it could be referring to the Holy Spirit. In reality here, this is the same word that Jesus had just used for spirit, and the idea here is, I think, making a direct connection. But in this case, we know Jesus is talking about wind because he says, the wind blows where it will. Now, you feel the effects of it. You can see it. You can see the leaves that are being blown by the wind. You can see the tree topple over. And we get a hurricane here in Florida. We can see our power poles being knocked over. And we know that the wind is responsible for it. But do you see the wind itself? Do you see what happens? Do you get to experience that? You see, our natural senses are aware of the wind's actions, but we're not able to see the wind itself. And he says the same thing is true of those who are born of the Spirit. There's something inside of us that happens that's difficult to put into words. You know, there is something that happens here as we gather together, as we come forward. Do you ever sense the presence of the Holy Spirit as we worship here? And sometimes you ever get away for a camp meeting. Let me tell you, there's nothing like youth camp. <laughs> I was a youth pastor for several years, and, and we had such a move of the Holy Spirit. You have kids who've never even been inside a church before get to go to a camp, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes. And kids say, what is that? How do you describe that? What is it? I can't see it. I can't taste it. But I know, I know it's here. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us in the same way. There is something that happens that Jesus is trying to convey to Nicodemus to help him know and to understand. And so Jesus, Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? I don't get it. Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. But Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? And Nicodemus was a pretty powerful guy. 
First of all, it's kind of interesting. He had a Greek name. Now, the Greeks had had some influence in, in the area of Jer- Jerusalem for probably a couple hundred years. So that wouldn't have been that rare. But you know what his name meant? Nico on the front end has the same root words as Nike, the shoe company, which means victory. Victory. He's the one who brought victory. He's the victor. Kind of like anybody have the name Victor? Anybody have a friend named Victor? That's a good name to have, it, isn't it? It means in any event you went, I won. I was the victor. I'm the champion. And that's, that's a great thing right there. And, and Nicodemus meant he was conqueror of an entire land. That's significant. We also know from back in verse 1, he was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. We know from chapter 7, he sat on the Sanhedrin. So he would have been one of the 70 most influential men of the nation of Israel in his point in time. And so Jesus was pointing out to him, hey, you've got all this stuff, but you don't have this figured out. You're missing it. You're missing it. In fact, notice that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in verse 1. He had a lot, but he had a lot to lose. He had a lot to risk because not all of his friends would be happy with him coming to Jesus. He might put his position at risk. And we'll see that he continued to come to Jesus at night throughout the gospel. There were several times that he held back, that he was there, but he was so curious. He had to know, but he didn't get it. You see, one thing about Nicodemus, he had to wrestle with the question, would he be willing to give it up? And this gets back to the core issue that Jesus is dealing with. You must be born again. For you to be born again means the old you has to die. You get a choice. Are you going to be a new you or the old you? And that's the core decision that every single one of us has to face. And the consequences are huge. Well, in verse 3 and in verse 5, Jesus said, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There is no eternal life being the old you. Wouldn't you rather be a new you? Wouldn't you rather experience new life? Wouldn't you rather be born again? I mean, our world system is so tempting. Because our world system offers this promise of winning. And some people are just driven to win. I mean, they just got to win. Anybody ever work for somebody like that? Maybe you're married to one. You know, don't, don't poke them in the wind. But it's like everything is always a competition. I'm going to win. You pull on the highway and like there's that car next to you. You're like, brruh, brruh. I'm going to accelerate a little bit further because you know what? I'm going to be ahead of you. That signal light. I'm going to get ahead of you. I'm not going to let you get in front of me. I've got to get in front of you. I mean, what's the biggest thing in America you can win? Maybe the Super Bowl? Yeah, any, any Philadelphia Eagles fans out there? I still cheer for the, the Seahawks um, after moving from Seattle five years ago. And, you know, we're not quite as good as we were four years ago, but we'll see what happens with that. But guess what? All those guys got to wear a ring when they won 19, in 2014. 
They didn't win 2015. They didn't win 2016. They didn't win 2017. And the Eagles, guess what? It's a new season. They get their rings, but they won't be the Super Bowl champions this time next year, probably. And right now you've got Wimbledon, you've got the Tour de France, and we have the world's biggest athletic competition taking place right now. Croatia beat France today for the World Cup, and Sunday afternoon the world's going to find out who's going to be the champion and how long does that last? Four years, and it's all done. Will people remember? Yeah, maybe. Players will remember. Your name will be in the record book. But what's it worth? What does winning the world's way really matter in light of eternity? What's it worth? Would you rather be born again and enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's worth so much more. This is what life is about. And Nicodemus had to struggle with that, and so Jesus gave him one more image He went on to say, if I tell you earthly things and you do not believe, how you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, refers back to a passage out of Numbers chapter 21. Remember, Moses was living 12, 1300 years before Jesus. The, the nation of Israel had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. This is in their 40 year experience, probably pretty late in the process. And it says in verse 5 the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They did a lot of whining along the way. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses, and they said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it up on a pole, and if a serpent bent anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So here's a picture of what that may have looked like. The idea there of the serpent himself, it wasn't that the serpent brought the healing, it was just the people in obedience and in faith to God would look at the serpent, God would heal them from their snake bites, they would be saved. And Jesus brought back that memory. Remember, the people had griped against God. They had, they had loaned, they had sinned, but in their repentance, they looked to God's provision and they were saved. And so Jesus said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And Jesus was talking about his own time on a pole, with his arms spread out, the death that he would have on behalf of all of us. In fact, this very next passage is the most known in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There was no one else who could do 
what Jesus has done for us. Like he said in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself. There's no other one in whom we can believe that can forgive us our sins. There's no other way we can have this new life. We've got to choose Jesus. And that night there, as Jesus revealed that message to Nicodemus, obviously Nicodemus went home and he wrestled with that decision. Would he believe or would he not? He comes up again a little bit later in the Gospel of John in chapter 7 and verse 50 when some of the people were getting ready, some of the Jewish leaders getting ready to see if they could execute Jesus. Nicodemus spoke up for him and said, our law doesn't permit us to kill anyone until we've tried him. Want to put a good word in there. He wasn't totally standing, he was saying, no, Jesus is true, I believe in him. He hadn't said that yet. But he was standing up for him. Then after Jesus was put on the cross after he was dead. In John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus helped Joseph of Arimathea bury him. John records that he bought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to anoint him for his death. 75 pounds. Now think about what that is. Can you imagine going to Dillard's and buying 75 pounds of perfume? That's a lot of perfume. You know what you typically go buy? You buy a bottle, it's 1.7 ounces. And if you happen to buy Jablu by Chanel, that's $95 for 1.7 ounces. You know how much 75 pounds would cost? $60,000. Nicodemus is pretty generous for a guy he hasn't totally gone all the way with yet. Did he there? I think there's a pretty good chance of it because we know there were Pharisees who were followers of Christ almost from the very beginning. In fact, I think he was probably there on the day of Pentecost. He was one of those when Peter gave the message, came up to Peter and said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter looked at him and said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you and your children after you. He was one of those who followed Jesus. Because he did not want to live the old life. He wanted to live the new life. We're getting done a little bit early, but I'll invite the worship team to come back to the platform if they're within earshot. And I want to ask you the question, how are you living? Are you living the old life? Just because it's Wednesday night, I I don't want to assume that you're here tonight, that that you have gone all the way, that you've said yes to Jesus, that you know what it means to being born of water and the Spirit. It may be that you've not yet, maybe you're here to just check this message out. I want to say I'm so glad you are. Because there's not a more important message you will ever hear. You must be born again. And it is a wonderful experience. I've been on both sides of that. I was not one who received Jesus before I remember. I remember the day it happened. And I've never been the same. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I see those who live the old life, who keep trying to chase down, who want to be the Nicodemus. They want to be the conquerors of the world. And how empty it is. 
It's like trying to climb the ladder, reaching to the clouds. You get to the top, you find out there's nothing there. Next year, there'll be somebody else coming and taking that trophy and putting on the Super Bowl ring, and they're going to forget you. That's not what life's about. Instead, there is an eternity that's available for you. There is a new life, and you can be born again of the Holy Spirit. You can find freedom. You can find joy. You can find freedom. You can find victory, real victory, the victory that lasts forever. But you've got to make the choice. Will you believe in him? Will you turn and look up on the one who is lifted up for you? And we do that by saying that statement of faith. Like we just read from verse 16. If we believe, we put our trust, we put our hope in Jesus. Now maybe you're here tonight and you've made that step. But that old life still tugs at you. It still pulls at you. Sometimes you you find yourself wandering back into the old chunk. Let me tell you, tonight's a great night to once again, anew and afresh, say, Lord, I want to live a new life. I want to live for you. I want to be yours completely. Would you help me? Would you empower me? I invite the prayer team to come forward, and they are ready. Let me tell you, God does miracles at these altars. But as they're on their way up, would you, would you stand to your feet with me? And I'm just going to invite you to respond in prayer. You just want to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here tonight and you've not yet come to that place where you said yes to Jesus, and you know this old life is not working for you, and you need it anew. You need it afresh. And you're not going to find it anywhere else. There's no other one who can bring it to you except the one who descended from heaven. That is Jesus. He changed my life. He changed the lives of hundreds here across the room. He can change yours. And I invite you to just raise your hand as your way of saying to God, Lord, I need Jesus in my life. I need your forgiveness. I want to start afresh. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? See that hand? Any others here tonight? Others? See you? See those hands? And if you're here tonight and you would say, Lord, I know you've been my Lord. I trusted you, given you my life, but Lord, there's stuff of the old life that keeps pulling me back into the mess. And I want to live anew and afresh. And tonight, I want to come clean to you. And I want you to birth in me your Holy Spirit anew and afresh. That you would empower me to live for you, to live this new life that you've called and created me for. Would you pour your spirit out anew upon me tonight? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Many, many hands going up here. Say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you became one of us. You lived among us so that you could pay the price that we could never pay ourselves. That you could undo those wrongs that we could never make right on our own. That you could bring us forgiveness. That you could bring us new life. And Lord, I thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to live new lives in freedom. And I lift up those who tonight have made that step for the first time. And I pray, Lord, that there would be that assurance of your acceptance of your love for them and the power of the Holy Spirit would just come upon them and empower them and give them that newness and that freedom and that victory. 
And Lord, for others who've just said anew and afresh, Lord, they're coming to you and saying, would you, would you forgive them? Would you empower them? Would you enable them to live a new life? And Lord, I pray that you would indeed empower and do the work that only you can. We thank you, Father, for so many ministries that are taking place here at this church, so many lives that are impacted through Kids Club, through the Dream Center, all over the city, all over around the world, through the missionaries that are supported by this church. And Lord, we thank you for the continuing work and pray especially this weekend would be an incredible time for, for our pastor and Sharon, Lord, and just a celebration of them in their lives. But Lord, as we take this last song, this last chance of worship, Lord, we're going to just seek you. And would you come, would you do that work in our hearts, in us, that we can live the new life that you purchased for us with your death on the cross. We love you, Lord, and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to come down so we can pray with you. The worship, the, the prayer team here, the worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And let's just give the Lord these next few minutes to just invite him anew and afresh into our hearts that we can live out this new life. This Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place and fill the air. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome by your presence. Lord, we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the Oh, the 
lift up your voice tonight. He's everything that we need. How we need your presence, God. declare this tonight. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence, Jesus. Let us experience the glory of your good. Let us become saved. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your good. Let us become, Lord. Let us become more aware of your time tonight. Can we declare that together? By your presence, Lord, we sing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome in our lives every minute of every day. Would you always birth within us the new life, Lord, and would you strengthen us, empower us, that we can share it with others, that your name would be exalted, that more, more, and more people can be born again, experience life the way it was meant to be lived forever. I pray your blessing on your people. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you on Sunday.